Trump actually hates going to Christmas parties because he has to stand in line shaking hands for hours. When staffers realized he kept him off Twitter, they just kept adding people to the line. <laughs> Didn't I say hello already? I met you already. Hi, welcome again. Who wants to go to a Christmas party? Well, I guess some of you do. I don't. Yeah, the people who do, do. The people who do, do. <clears throat> do, do. Uh, speaking of Jimmy Fallon, he uh, revisited a classic Saturday Night Live bit last night. The Christmas song <laughs> that they sing. Uh, if you remember him and Horatio Sands and Chris Catan, uh, hilarious way back in the day. And they redid that. We should link that video at armstrongandgettyradio.com. Because if you're an SNL fan from that period, that's one of the all-time greats. Uh, really funny. I'm going to play that for my wife later. Um, so which direction do you want to go, Joe? I got the 47 Democrats likely to run for president. And going through the list is kind of entertaining, believe it or not. I do. And um, then I've got this thing about learning the, the spacing effect, which is also I, kind of interesting. I would suggest whichever one you feel more enthusiastic slash prepared to unleash upon us. You know, I think I'll read up a little more on the spacing effect for, uh, for next break. And because um, it, it's kind of something I'm really into. Um, learning. My kids are at the, the critical learning age. Actually, there is something called critical. I forget what it was called. I learned it in college, but it ends at like eight. Yeah, it ended before you were in college, apparently, or you'd remember the term. Um, but up until eight, you have the ability to learn just mass amounts of information, including oh, yeah. languages easily and stuff like that. Oh, After I the know. age eight, it slows way down. I know. And uh, I've, I, felt, I feel like, so I got, a, I got an eight-year-old turned nine soon. I got a six-year-old turned seven this weekend. feel like I got to cram him full of, I don't know, Mandarin or something while I can, while I can pick <laughs> it up. My niece... Um, Texted me last week. She said, I'm a year and a half into Arabic, and I think I can tell someone what my name is. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Little D, my daughter, my beloved daughter, is getting home from college today. Um, she took a couple of semesters of Arabic and found it utterly mystifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and this this needs mine. She's a straight-A student all through high school, super smart, studies incredibly hard, but uh, yeah. apparently it's a difficult language to pick up. Well, and just picking up language is hard, your, period. Yeah, that, that part of you, that soil, you haven't fertilized for a very long time because you haven't needed it. Or at least, you know, for 99% of human existence, you didn't need it. You know, you, you learned language in your valley, you ooched around, you hunted the antelope, you spoke your language. Well, let me hit some of this stuff while we're talking about it, the, the spacing effect, because this all fits together. This is a former Canadian spy who's uh, writing about this. His name is Shane Parrish, and he's one of those members of the intellectual um, uh, world out there that, that is admired. 80% of his followers work on Wall Street, of his followers on, uh, on, on his blog. He's just he's he's admired by a lot of smart people around the world. Yeah, kind of your, your he's your favorite blogger's favorite blogger sort of thing. Like, and I'm sorry, what's the bloke's name again? Shane Parrish. Okay. The the name of his blog is called Farnham Street. If anybody's looking for it, and All you right. like a lot of the stuff that he puts on there? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I discovered him about I don't know a little more than a month or so ago. And I've been just been kind of checking out his act, and I find it really interesting stuff. Yeah. So you know, lump him in with your Jordan Petersons and other smart people that talk about lots of smart stuff, and and you'll be smarter. Uh, the spacing effect is how to improve learning and maximize retention, and he talks a lot about memory and what is known about memory, and I found this interesting. Some of this I intuitively have known, I think, most of my life, and might have been why I was fairly good at school while really not that good in the real world. <laughs> I, I'm pretty good at like memorizing things for a test and then forgetting them. Um 
And then some things I've picked up about learning things more long term. Did you know that there's a steep drop off? I don't know if you're good at cramming for tests. I was really good for cramming for tests. So right before a test, I go over a bunch of information in my head. Luckily, for whatever reason, the way my brain works, I can retain it for the next hour uh, or however long I got to get it down on a test. and And I seem to be pretty good at that. That doesn't mean you're smart. It doesn't really mean any. It certainly doesn't mean you know the stuff that you just studied. Uh, just means you got the brain that remembers that sort of thing. Uh, for in this, so he's got the, a forgetting curve versus a, a remembering curve or a learning curve on a chart based on things he's figured out and, and knowledge that has been gained over hundreds and hundreds of years. The forgetting curve shows that a memory that is taken in new information and how quickly it decays in the brain. The fastest drop occurring after twenty minutes. So that whole cramming information into your brain, the reason you don't remember any of that stuff you took on a test, it drops off steeply after just 20 minutes. Mm. So you got it down on the piece of paper and then it's gone. Part of the, the, well, not part of, the whole idea of the spacing effect is if you want to learn things long term, which you do, unless you're just studying facts for the driver's license exam or whatever, most of the time you want to learn this stuff long term. Some it's, of us value safe driving, Jack, but back to you. It's, it's how you... <laughs> Yeah, but I don't need to remember how many feet from this or that I've got. You know, whatever. 50. Always 50. <laughs> um, <laughs> the spacing effect, and this this I picked up intuitively from learning the guitar. Much better off revisiting over and over again, spaced out over time, the same thing. It gets. I just noticed it gets stuck in my head, and I actually learn it, and it's there. And the... And the um, we don't do that in schools, or we tend not to do that for tests. But the best way to learn something and hold on to it is revisit a couple of small things. Do it again tomorrow for 15 minutes. Do it again the next day. Do it again. You space it out over time, and the way our brains are built, it gets stuck in there, and it stays there. Ah, as opposed to marathon sessions. As opposed to marathon sessions. So you yeah. can cram like crazy, get the information in there long enough to take the test, never revisit the periodic table again, and it's all completely gone. I mean, I had the periodic table memorized for college chemistry classes that I took at one point. And I, I can, boron, is that an element? I got nothing now. Um, because I never revisited it. And I figured out from uh, guitar lessons, I, I just I knew people that picked up musical instruments and they'd get really into it in the beginning and they practice hours and hours and hours and then kind of set it aside and then, like, I don't remember any of it. And I figured out that if I do 15 minutes a day, just go GCD, GCD, GCD with my chords and just do it every single day or whatever it is I'm working on, it sticks. It's in there. Um, and it doesn't go away. And that's part of what the spacing effect idea is and something that he thinks we should all do just in our grown-up lives or certainly do more of in school or um, inc- find a way to encourage it for learning. Because the current way we do it with tests, it doesn't encourage learning those things. It's, it's, it's almost like a, um, uh, well, it's an exercise in short-term memory, which is, you know, a thing, but there's really no point in it. Well, I find myself trying to decide how I would design a class if I really wanted high school kids to learn, you know, X, Y, or Z. Because, I mean, I was going to say you can't revisit the same material over and over again. I'm picturing but a quick review at the beginning of every class seems like it'd be unquestionably a good idea. Yeah, I'm picturing like um, you go through a whole bunch more stuff throughout the day but you do it over and over you do it every tuesday or you do it every day throughout the entire year as opposed to you have your chapter on the civil war and you do that for a couple of weeks 
And you cram for that and learn that. Then you move on to something completely different. Right. You take the test on the Civil War, and then you never discuss the Civil War for the rest of the year. Yeah, exactly. And then you you do that the same way with math and science and everything else, and you just move on. As opposed to maybe a little bit of the Civil War uh, repeated over and over throughout the year would actually stick in your head. That's clearly true. Right. I was good at something that has no value at this point in my life. I think. Right. Uh, Yeah, it's. There's obviously going to have to be a lot of serious and creative thinking about how you would teach something like history. Um,. Because you don't want to end up in a spot where you teach very few things over and over again, because uh, there's so much to go over. Maybe but, if you know, return like to five the important things in history, let's just get those. You got 1776, 1492, Stamp Act, <laughs> a right. couple other things. Yeah, World War II, which was right. Yeah, uh, maybe it's that you incorporate over and over the principles of what you are trying to teach as opposed to just a collection of facts and dates and all, which is, I've said this before and I will say it again, it is one of the few things I've said that are worthy of being written down in a career that has now spanned decades. The ability to make history boring is an achievement on par with the development of penicillin. To make history boring is an astonishing ability. It's practically impossible. It's climbing Mount Everest naked. I can't understand how anybody could possibly make history boring. Well, it was but every many, single year of my life until I got to college. History teachers have that astounding ability, um, but which is tragic. The, so you're talking about how would you come up with a way to do this, and you know, smart people are thinking about it, but compare it to what we do now. i got to look at my own educational career a lot of it, and I don't know how you'd put a percentage on it, but maybe 50%, maybe more, was practically worthless. You're cramming stuff into your short-term memory to spit it out onto a piece of paper, and then it's gone forever. What is the point of that? Well, if you approached education like that, yeah, yeah, it was. I don't know. This is also complicated because there are different learning styles for different people. I didn't do that, really. I didn't cram. Um, I did because I was, you know, and this is not the smart thing to do, but I was only focused on what's, what's the goal here? To get a B? Okay. Um, <laughs> not, not to learn anything, to get a B, and then everybody's happy with you. So I, I would cram to get stuff down, and okay, I don't, I don't need that anymore, and it's gone, uh, which is the way the brain works. Uh, right. But really the reason he's writing about this, you can apply it to schools, but also to adults, with the idea that it's, uh, quoting Darwin, and Darwin's always misquoted as the strongest survived. Darwin had never said that. It's uh, it's people who adapt to their environment that survive. The mm. you know the most adaptable over time survive, and it's the idea of being able to learn stuff as an adult and adapt to changing times. Your industry's gone. You know this has changed. This new thing come along. Uh, how do you learn that? And you learn it through the spacing effect, and not through uh, you know trying to take it all in on one day and then hoping it sticks because it ain't going to. Boy, it's funny. It reminds me of exercise. Somebody decides they want to get in shape, and they work out for three and a half hours at the gym. Oh, yeah. They tear a peck, both biceps and a groin muscle, and uh, and never work out again. Not to mention, you just think, I don't want to play the guitar for six hours a day or be on the gym for six hours a day. Well, it turns out that's the worst way to go about it. Right. Right. A little bit every single day is a much better way. Um, Yeah. Applying that to learning... I suppose it's going to be around for a long time, but it is set up for, um, it's certainly pointing students, it seems, in the direction of short-term memory to get it out on a test. That seems to be the way it's designed. 
Well, if I might put the usual bitter, sarcastic cap on these things, because that's what I do, even as brilliant, caring, innovative teachers discover these things, the unions will prevent them from enacting any of it. <laughs> and the administration, which was, is threatened by anything new. That was a good bitter ending to that. <laughs> so, people who look at this sort of thing think 40-some Democrats are going to throw their hat in the ring for president? We can go through some of the list for you. Some of you recognize, some of you won't. See who it's the top in the, all the polls. Same two names are at the top in all the polls. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. Get a steady chance, we'll take it, or something. Uh, from Laverne and Shirley, Laverne uh, died yesterday. Her name was Penny. Her, she was called Penny Marshall um, and died at the age of 75. And she was the star of the number one show in America in the late 70s, briefly. Back when that meant something, when it meant like everybody knew who you are. You it was can a be, super giant monster hit. Uh, yeah, and, and because of the limited choices of entertainment back then, Everybody in the country, even people who didn't watch, would have known who you were if you're the star of the number one show in the country. Whereas now, you could be the star of, well, I've, like, I couldn't recognize anybody from Game of, Game of Thrones. I've never seen it. A couple million people watch it. It's a huge hit. It's the way the world works. Times are changing. Can you accept changing times? I'm not I, sure you can. I think so. Still here. So, uh, <laughs> an unprecedented 45 Democrats are jockeying for the party's nomination to challenge President Trump in 2020, a shattering the record number of candidates aspiring to be commander-in-chief. We've never had anything like this before in our nation. Jockeying Democrats is my new band. It's uh, We've got like 17 people on stage. It's like arcade fire, but even more people. Well, it says <laughs> A lot here, of socially woke lyrics, too. It says here an eye-popping number. I hope that's not true. That would be an unfortunate... On currents, if that were to, if that were to actually happen, um, so this 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 stems from a conversation from uh, a dude that's involved in the Democratic Policy and Communications Committee, whatever that is, and he was on MSNBC and he said, "I think we're going to have more than forty Democratic hopefuls. Look, we have forty great candidates running for president. Everybody recognizes how urgent urgent this moment is in our country's history." Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, uh, to have more than 40- this is the most important election of our lifetime. I've said it every year that I've been paying attention. Yikes. Including midterms. They can't all be the most important, can they? Come on. To have more than 40 Democrats seeking to win the White House would be historic, says a guy who studies history. Uh, here in the Washington Examiner, the number would be well over the 17 major Republicans who ran in 2016 for the Republicans, which ultimately benefited Trump, it would seem, six times as large as the, do you remember, if you're old enough, the seven dwarves. When there were seven Democrats running for the nomination in 88, and everybody thought, seven, that's crazy! Right. Uh, now we're looking at 45. Huh. Wow, that's incredible. So who are these 45? Well, all polls have the same two people at the top, and these two people are likely to run, though they haven't officially announced yet. 
Joe Biden. Oh, please. And Bernie, as old as the hills. And Bernie Sanders, ages 76 and 77. Oh, boy. Yeah. Combined 150-something. That's incredible. Um, I, I think the old Joe has too much sense. Ultimately, he will. somebody will pull him aside and say, Uncle Joe, you're going to get humiliated. That's all that's going to happen. Humiliation. Bernie's too crazy to care and or too dedicated to care, depending on how you see Bernie Sanders. Other names that almost certainly will run Senator Elizabeth Warren. We all know about her. Hi, she's Joe, in her 70s, you? right? Oh, yeah. Well, she I think she's 60. Yeah, she's 69, but she'll be 70 by election time. All right. Uh, Making her one of the elders of her tribe. Uh, <laughs> Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey is expected to run. We just heard in Marshall's News that Kamala Harris uh, there are some maneuverings being made that shows that she's likely to run. Uh, I don't know some of these names. Sherrod Brown of Ohio. I do not know that person. Yeah, he's a reasonable fellow. He's the sort of guy uh, Ohio is going to burp up. Yeah, he's a senator. Uh, Kirsten Gillibrand of New York. She's awful. And- she's a hypocrite <laughs> and a liar and, and pathetic. Well, I have a feeling you're not going to like most of these people. Well, no, you? I'm being honest. I give Sherrod Brown a little love. Okay. Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota. She's a reasonable gal. Universally respected. There, look at that. See? See, Jack? Yeah, you see, are, you're maybe you should be a little more hesitant with your criticism, my criticism. By the way, Sherrod Brown's 66. He'll be dang near 70 by election time. At least he's not 80. Kristen Gillibrand's a child at 52. Says she's definitely thinking about it. Klobuchar at 58 uh, uh, says she's likely to run. Um, then you get down to uh, Representative Beto O'Rourke. You remember him running against Ted Cruz. He has only gone as far as to say not ruling it out, which means you're definitely thinking about it. Um, Julian Castro, Barack Obama's former secretary of HUD and the current mayor of San, Diego, San, Diego, uh, San Antonio, I'm sorry, uh, has formed an exploratory committee. He is one of the Castro twins, if you remember that whole thing. Michael Bloomberg, ex-New York City mayor, is likely to run. He's also forming committees. An exploratory committee, like they have mining helmets on. <laughs> exactly. That's the United States over there, I think. Quiet. They're drawing fresh maps of unexplored terrain. Maryland Representative John Delaney, West Virginia State Senator Richard Ojeda, Andrew Yang from the Venture of America Right, we're officially into the, right, uh, right, the, uh, right, the territory right. where if Jack is making up these names, nobody's going to call right. him on it. Uh, <laughs> Oprah Winfrey's approved self-help guru, Marion Williamson, no, filed with the FEC. No, you're, Mont- you're out. we got to thin this field. You're out. <laughs> Montana Senator Art Vandelay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, a lot of, do you want more names you've never heard of? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Senator Michael Bennett of Colorado, Bob Casey of Pennsylvania, right. Tim Kaine of Virginia, who was Hillary's oh, VP choice. He is a savage and soulless politician. I just hope Awful. he does his Trump impersonation if he runs. Believe me. <laughs> Chris Murphy on. of Connecticut, Mark Warner of Virginia, Jeff Merkley of Oregon, Seth Moulton of Massachusetts, Tim Ryan of Ohio. Seth Moulton, that was the made-up name. That's the <laughs> fake name. Joe Kennedy of Massachusetts, Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii, Eric Solwell of California. Oh, my God, and I'm only halfway through the list. There are quite a few well-known idiots in that list. I could, <laughs> I could cull it pretty well for you, pretty quickly. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, the U.S. just announced plans to pull troops out of Syria, coming under fire from Republicans, and doctors are pushing a new drug-free way to control your blood pressure. Coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Some of the other names of the 45 people expected to run for president 
as a Democrat. John Kerry said he's not taking anything off the table. Eric Holder is looking at uh, becoming the standard bearer with some paperwork he's filed. Hillary Clinton, of course, we all know her name is in there. Yeah, I got some governors, Steve Bullock of Montana, Jay Inslee of Washington, all raising money through their PACs. Terry McAuliffe, Martin O'Malley, also governors, um, uh, are, uh, are, are organizing committees and all that sort of right. stuff. There are a lot of names. Was a Alex Baldwin. Was O'Malley the metric system guy? I think he was. But And a <laughs> lot of these names, I mean, they're U.S. senators and governors of states. That's a pretty big deal. Right. Sure. Um, nobody him. but nobody had heard of William Jefferson Clinton until, you know, it was running time. Correct. I didn't hear one Instagram influencer, reality star, game show host on that list. It's like the Democrats aren't even trying. <laughs> <laughs> and this one, just because I like his name, I don't know anything about him. Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper. Oh, yeah? <laughs> honey, oh, yeah. Not, honey, not root for Hickenlooper. Yeah. Although he's 66, he'll be dang near 70. John, oh, jeez. This. I, I, if you're running the DNC, what do you do so that you don't end up with just a circus where you can't manage it and and get the best to rise to the top? I don't even know how you would handle that. What are you, anti-circus? I say add Eric Estrada to that list. And uh, and I, I don't know. When I, how about one of those uh, hot little morning TV anchorettes? Have we had any of them enter politics? No. We Come on. Uh, News now with Marsha Phillips. Now, time for a Band-Aid. Senate leaders are working on a bill to sidestep a partial federal government showdown at the end of the week. The bill would extend funding for a quarter of the government that still need money, as most have already been funded through the 2019 fiscal year. Mitch McConnell saying this morning, We'll soon take up a simple measure that will continue government funding into February so we can continue this vital debate after the new Congress. Has convened. There you go. You can tell he's fired up about all this. <sighs> Is that a ploy, the way he does that? I was reading a little bit. Um, a guy died over the weekend who was well known for uh, gauging the personalities of presidents and ranking them and writing books right. about them. And uh, and he was fairly famous for talking about getting the, the paperwork to prove that Dwight Eisenhower was actually just a dynamo behind the scenes and a real leader and a real rah-rah guy and everything like that, but purposefully, in front of the press and in front of people, acted like he was just kind of monotone and barely paying attention and didn't really know what was going on. It was a a strategy. Bill Belichick does that in sports, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a strategy, and it takes a lot of self-confidence because you have to be willing to have people think you're either stupid or... You know, you don't know what's going on. Well, apparently I am. Boring boring or dull. Spell it out for us. What's the purpose of the strategy? Um, Well, to keep people off their game and not know what you're up to. Okay. Why Um, why would I ask him anything? He's not going to give me anything anyways. Right. Yeah, and there's a famous quote from Eisenhower that came out years later from paperwork that um, there was a complicated something. The press was howling to get into it, and he said, I'm just going to go out and confuse him. And he went out there and just kind (laughs) of rambled around and acted like he didn't have a grasp of things and then walked back out. Wow. (laughs) And that's the way he would handle those situations. It would either buy him time or throw him off the scent or whatever. But again, it takes a lot of self-confidence to allow other people to think you're dumb so that you can get over on them. But back to Mitch McConnell. Is that what he's doing? Is that why he kind of goes with the slow talking, I'm barely paying attention thing? <laughs> you know, that would explain it. The guy is utterly uninspiring. Uh, yeah, no kidding. But he's got to be inspiring behind the scenes. He has to be, doesn't right. he? And to hold on to power, as he yeah. had. 
We've got two Republican senators already expressing their uh, unhappiness with President Trump's plans to withdraw U.S. troops from Syria. Florida Republican Marco Rubio criticizing the move. The decision to withdraw American, uh, an American presence in Syria is a colossal, in my mind, mistake, a grave error that's going to have significant repercussions in the years and months to come. Got to tell you, Marco, Mario sends a little low energy there. South Carolina Republican Lindsey Graham was tweeting today, it would be a huge Obama-like mistake. That followed the tweet from President Trump that ISIS has been defeated in Syria and said combating Syria has been the only reason for us being there. I'd combating like to, ISIS. Yes. Yeah, I'd like to hear more of the argument from uh, particularly Marco, because Lindsey Graham is for intervening everywhere in the world, right. always, pretty much. Um, but I'd like to hear the argument. So is it that we leave and Iran takes over or Russia gets a foothold and establishes a military base? Is that the big concern, I guess? Or do they fear that Islamic fundamentalists take advantage of the vacuum and, and regain their strength? Well, I don't know if Putin and uh, Assad would allow that to happen. Right. San Francisco Mayor London Breed is asking Governor Brown to release her brother from prison where he served nearly 20 years of a 44-year sentence for a manslaughter conviction in the death of a San Francisco woman. The San Francisco Chronicle reports that Breed's brother, Napoleon Brown, pushed the 25-year-old woman from a getaway car on the Golden Gate Bridge after an armed robbery in June of 2000. She was hit and killed after he did that. The Cron's reporting that uh, Mayor Breed asked the governor to commute her brother's sentence in a letter that appears to be on personal stationery, but the heading and the body of the letter reference her position as the city's mayor. That request is raising some eyebrows. And it should. I mean, if I'm the mayor of of a giant city, I might go ahead and try to get my personal work done, too, but uh, that's a pretty brutal crime. Exercise might be, it turns out, as good as drugs at keeping your blood pressure down. New study in the British Journal of Sports Medicine found no there's, kidding. there's not much difference between the two when it comes to keeping it at a healthy level. One question, which is easier? <laughs> Taking a pill or getting out and moving? Exactly. Other breakthrough discoveries, water great at stopping dehydration. Do you want to tell your story you always tell, Joe? Uh, yeah, it was quite a long time ago when it was first discovered or finally recognized that I had high blood pressure. And the doctor uh, was talking about the pills and what dose and the rest of it. And I said, well, uh, can I lower this by exercising? And he said, well, yeah, yeah, if you want. <laughs> wow. Uh, you, suppose like, well, you suppose that's because most people don't want to or aren't going to? So it's Well, not- and as it turns out, it wasn't successful with me either, at least not successful enough, so I ended up taking the medicine. But, uh, yeah. But it certainly could be. It, it's certainly something one you would think would want to try before you start going down medicine ro- roads, drug roads. Right. Yeah, if you're that, if, if it is treatable through natural means like that, yeah, you're way better off doing it like that. Well, I'm wondering, though, if the doctors say, you know, you could bring their blood pressure down by getting out there and exercising. I wonder if a lot of people say, well, couldn't I just take a pill? I think that is what <laughs> yes, a lot of people think. Push, Clearly. push back on it. Again, what's easier? That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips. The Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Ah, boy, the petering out is coming up here in just a few minutes. Now living in a world with no penny, Marshall, trying to figure out how to adjust. Bells will be uh, which do it by listening to uh, Don Henley. Which, which direction do you want to go next? Let's see. I live northeast, so uh, 
Oh, man, we have a lot of good stuff. Here's uh, here's a fascinating new study from the University uh, College of London that the more radical you are, the less ability you have to think about your own thinking. I'm confused by that. My ability to think about my own thinking. The more prone to being wrong you are, the more radical you're likely to be. And the more radical you are, the more prone to continuing to be wrong you are. What is that? Hmm. Is that in the same ballpark as incompetent people don't know they're incompetent? I don't know. Stay tuned. We'll discuss it coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Did you see that Lance Armstrong might be a billionaire with his investments? Really? Yeah. Hmm. Including uh, getting in on Uber really, really early. Guy, guy, the only reason he had any money and, and any clout to make any money is he is a complete phony all yeah. those years and liar and criminal, really. And uh, now he's a billionaire. Well, I don't know. Yeah. I, you know, he is a liar. He's a, one of the great liars that any of us will observe in our lifetimes. Yeah. On the other hand, I think differently of a guy like that or some of the guys in baseball, when everybody was juicing and everybody knew it, and as an institution, they were pretending it wasn't so. Um, you know, I realize that's a little moral equivalency or something, but um, I don't know. And the fans start to chant, Barry. Why'd you play that? Do we still have the uh, not good clip, Michael? Because does anybody remember what that's from? That's Lance Armstrong on when he did his big Oprah Winfrey interview. And she said to him, you called your best friend's wife a bitch. How did that go over? And Lance Armstrong. How does that make you feel? It seems to be missing, guys. Oh, you've got to be kidding. I know. I was looking for it. Michael, can you determine what human being might be responsible for the disappearance of that tape? For taking one of the most used clips on the Armstrong and Getty show and deleting it from the computer system? Found it. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. I'm glad I hadn't unleashed my vengeance, Michael. Not uh, good. That's how Because that would have been not uh, good. I'm standing on somebody's desk screaming at them. You rotten not, piece of crap. Uh, good. What do you even make a salary for, you useless? And then Michael walks into the room. I found it. Oh, never mind. Yeah, never mind. Sorry. <laughs> so, so sorry. Anyway, so there's no justice in the world. That was my point. Back to you, Joe. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, very quickly. Do we have time for this? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm stretching out the time between my painkillers. I have decided to make another pivot away from being a pill junkie. Hmm. And, uh, that I was going to be our spring promotion. Joe gets hooked on opioids. Because it's hot. And the tragic comeback, and you'd be on some sort of evening new TV news show, and lots of tears, and I'd Heck, cry. We could probably book the president, you know? Yeah. You'd become kind of the face of it, the everyman. Oh, if only. But no, I've decided to, uh, selfishly, I've decided to prevent that okay. by uh, stretching out the time between painkillers. We'll see how it goes. I am a tad achy. So, uh, University College of London did an experiment and what they were trying to figure out is whether people with particular sorts of political points of view are less likely to question their own beliefs and, like, go over them again. Or uh, understand that, you know, I might have gotten here mistakenly. I wonder if there's anything I'm missing. Gotcha. Introspection. 
And our favorite saying on the Armstrong and Getty Show, if you don't know what introspection is, you need to take a long, hard look at yourself. (laughs) So a new study from uh, University College in London offers some insight into one characteristic of those who hold extreme beliefs, their metacognition or ability to evaluate whether they might be wrong. Um, I think I spend too much time on this, but... It uh, could be. Steve Fleming, who is a uh, cognitive neuroscientist and one of the paper's authors, says, and I quote, It's been known for some time now that in studies of people holding radical beliefs, they tend to express higher confidence in their beliefs than others. But it was unknown whether this was just a general sense of confidence in everything they believe or whether it was reflective of a change in metacognition. Mm. And that that second question, I don't think they, they really answered. But they studied two groups of people, uh, many hundreds of people. Uh, They gave uh, a survey of how conservative or liberal their political beliefs are, and then then they ranked you as, you know, moderate, centrist, uh, radical on either end of the spectrum. They didn't care which end you were. Uh, After taking the questionnaire, the the first group did a simple test. They looked at different clusters of dots and quickly identified which group had more dots. Which has more, A or B? They flash them up on screen. Ah, B, I think. B, yes. Then they rated how confident they were in their choice. People with radical political opinions completed this exercise with pretty much the same accuracy as the other moderate participants. But after incorrect decisions, the radicals were less likely to decrease their confidence. Wow. So it doesn't just apply to their politics. It's with everything. Right. It may well be just a personality type. Wow, that's interesting. Well, then I would think as a as a political movement, you want to reach those people that are either hardwired or learn to be that way um, and, and get your information into their heads because <laughs> they're with you forever. Right, right, yeah. And, and, and come heck or high water. Yeah, and they're still trying to figure out whether if you become somewhat radical, that affects your ability to question yourself or whether it's you know inborn or permanent i always thought that's got to be so relaxing to be certain you're right about all these things you know i call it the warm blanket of certainty because it it's got to be cuddly and 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 fabulous just to never spend any time during the day i wonder if i'm wrong about this or that just i'm right about all these things i'm just gonna go with it whether it's parenting or work decisions or whatever i'm just completely right and i'm gonna stick with it i question everything including whether i should question everything yeah it tortures me endlessly Final thoughts with A-N-G. Yeah, that's good stuff. Written by Helen Reddy, I believe. Um, here's your host, Joe Getty. Let's get a final thought from everybody. Wouldn't that be a lovely end of the show? Hey, Michelangelo, what's your final thought? Okay, i got to go out to the Christmas tree lot and see what they've got left. I know I'm not going to get the best trees, but maybe I can knock them down in price. There's need one that's like three feet tall. Maybe yeah, just, your neighbor's got a nice tree a in their stump. yard. Good luck with that. A stump. Uh, Positive Sean, final thought? Yeah, it's amazing how viewing things that uh, you once consumed in your childhood through adult lenses often changes uh, what you were seeing in the first place. Like my realization that Mr. Toad's Wild Ride at Disneyland is just a drunk driver who dies in a crash. And then I guess he's on trial in hell or something. I don't know. Are we sure this should be a children's ride? On trial in hell. Marsha Phillips, your final thought. Well, I will be dressing up tomorrow. I'll be decked out in my entire Nordic survival gear outfit for your merriment and lots of pictures for the website. Awesome. I guarantee you will smile. <laughs> That's what happens in a California head somewhere cold for the winter. Fabulous. Uh, Jack, do you have a final thought you'd like to share? Yeah, I've been wondering why this is. I suppose it makes sense. The 
Laverne from Laverne and Shirley dying and just seeing old clips and hearing the song, I just have this warm feeling of being in my parents' house, you know, where you had no worries and everything was safe and protected and watching TV on a Tuesday night with my brothers and my parents and, I don't know, simpler times. Yeah, or at least they seem that way in retrospect. Well, I was a kid, so they were simple. They were. You were a simple kid. No, I see what you're saying. Of course. Of course. Uh, My final thought is happy birthday to my beautiful bride, Judy. Uh, Perhaps at the time of life we don't mention what birthday it is, but it's uh, it's a birthday and uh, fabulous. Love of my life. Happy birthday, baby. Probably not going to have the Noah's Bagels person give her a senior discount like they did to me. Well, she's a little less grizzled looking, frankly. <laughs> God dang it. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. Hey, if there's something you ought to, if somebody, go to armstrongandgetty.com. Out of time. Needs the painkillers. God bless America. Where are my pills? This is a historic act uh, of uh, devastating incompetence. I will not sugarcoat this. This is a disappointing day for us. Big mistake, but not too bad. The fun level in this room is at an 11 right now, and that brought it down. The ride is over! The time for the clowns and the acrobats and the dancing bears has passed. Get away from here. Get. Get. And we apologize for our stupidity, and we really hope you forgive us for what we've done. Thank you, and good night. Because the show's over. What? Bye-bye. An actual solution to the soul-crushing burden of traffic. Armstrong and Getty.